Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen, and co-hosting with me today is the one and only Kelsey Bowler. Kelsey, thanks for being here. Hi, Virginia. It's great to be back. Lauren and our good friend Sarah Parshall-Perry are going to be joining us in just a few minutes. But in the meantime, Kelsey and I have uh, some important news to discuss. And before we jump in um, to some of those topics, Kelsey, I, I realized that it's been a really long time since we shared on the show where the name Problematic Women actually came from. So I figured since you're here today and as the founder of this show, could you just share a little bit of the backstory of way back in 2017 when you and Bree launched Problematic Women? Where did that name come from? Yeah, when I saw you wanted to talk about this today, it inspired me to go back to its origins, which I have to credit L Magazine for. <laughs> uh, what happened is in 2017, they published uh, an article asking, quote, how do we criticize problematic women? And, you know, this is the heat of, you know, Trump had just been elected and this article really, you know, asked what they do about Megyn Kelly type figures, Kellyanne <laughs> Conway, and some of these other problematic women where they knew they were total hypocrites for attacking and smearing them the way they do when these so-called feminists uh, claim that they want to lift up and empower women. And, you know, what, what they really found themselves in was a pickle with these mm -hmm. very powerful, outspoken women who didn't subscribe to the popular uh, feminist label. And so I responded to that piece in Elle magazine with a piece of my own published over in The Federalist. Uh, the, the headline is, Nasty Women Target Problematic Women. We're not going anywhere. And Virginia, at some point, maybe this summer on a slow week, it might be worth reading this piece in full. Of course, uh, anyone listening can head over to the Federalist and read it. But I found it really interesting to go back and read because I don't know about you, but I am so hard on myself when I go back and listen to my podcast recordings mm -hmm. or TV hits or even articles that I write. I'm like, well, I could have said this. I should have said this. When I reread this piece, I actually had to give myself some credit. It was oh, even better than I remembered. <laughs> it made some very good points. And I have to say, although it was written back in 2017, it is just as relevant today. And it really does remind us of the themes of this entire podcast where we try to champion strong, powerful women who are brave enough to speak against the popular feminist narrative uh, and in doing so become problematic women. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I love that we're still continuing it to this day. Um, of course, you know, I, I started it with Brie Payton, who mm -hmm. worked for the Federalists and uh, tragically passed away um, a couple years ago. And it's really um, in part a tribute to her work yeah. uh, and the way she herself is and was a problematic woman um, and everything that she did. So, uh, you know, I, I'm really glad you asked that. I think it's uh, important to remind listeners where the inspiration for this show came from. Exactly. Yeah, as we, we hear it, obviously, all the time, problematic woman being a problematic woman, but it's really fun to hear that backstory and roots. And I love that so many years later, we're, we're still forging on and continuing and uh, it's just so fun. So, Kelsey, go ahead and let us know what we have up on today's edition of Problematic Women. Yes, so Mattel has designed its first transgender Barbie. We want to tell you what you need to know about that. Plus, abortion activists think a lot of things are going to happen if Roe is overturned, including the claim that women will die. Is this true? Virginia and Lauren will actually bring in a legal expert to address that claim. Uh, we'll also explain what will happen in your own state if Roe versus Wade is overturned. Virginia, you did some great work on that. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that we think are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are unfortunately so often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. 
if you are a problematic woman or just are someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. Your support really does make a difference. I'm so excited for today's show because we have not just two, but three very problematic women who are joining us today, uh, one kind of after another. So first, we're going to go ahead and bring in Lauren, of course, and our good friend, Sarah Partial-Perry. In May, Lauren and I went to a pro-abortion protest in Washington, D.C. Virginia and I took pictures of really uh, the craziest signs. And I don't even know if I could even say these are the craziest. These are the craziest that Virginia and I actually saw. We took every one of these pictures. uh, But we have a very special guest in studio kind of to help us break down these signs. That's right. So, so many of these signs make outlandish claims. So we were like, let's bring in a legal expert, our good friend, Sarah Partial-Perry from the Heritage Foundation, who just so happens to have been last week's Promo of the Week. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. An honor I hold very dear to my heart. You should have a crown on your head, honestly. Where is my crown? Where is your crown? We'll work on that. No. Uh, but we wanted to get your honest reaction, Sarah, on these signs, both as a strong pro-medical woman, but also as a professional legal mind. What are your thoughts on these claims that the very pro-abortion movement is making about what is going to happen post-Roe? So let's go ahead and enroll some of these. So the first sign we have up here, and we do want to note that for everyone listening, we're going to be reading the signs, but you can also watch this full segment on YouTube. So if if you want to see the signs as we're talking, just go to YouTube, the Daily Signal YouTube channel. This will be one of the latest videos. But if you're on YouTube and you don't want to see the signs, (laughs) please keep watching. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You can also check out, we're going to have all these pictures posted too on the Problematic Women Instagram account. So you can also just scroll through and see them there. All right. So this first one says, pro-life, question mark, then put down your guns. Sarah, (laughs) you went to law school. You studied the Second Amendment. Yep. What do you think about this argument? Well, first of all, it's a very popular one right yeah. now mm-hmm. because it's been making the rounds on some of the late night talk mm-hmm. shows like Trevor Noah's yeah. show in which he pointed out the hypocrisy of the pro-life movement. And I will say that the attempt to take an innocent life is not the same as a constitutional right to keep and bear arms, which the Supreme Court has repeatedly (laughs) upheld. And abortion, as Alito said in the draft opinion, is inherently different. You are taking a life. You are choosing to Mm. take a life. Whereas in the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms, you are in lawful possession of your constitutional right, Mm -hmm. which is represented by your ownership of a duly registered Gun. They are totally mutually exclusive. And guns in the right hands keep people safer. Yes, they do. And we have a defensive gun use mm. database that my colleague in the Mies Legal Center actually runs. And we encourage you to check it out because it's amazing. <laughs> um, but it is truly this. This is one of the more ridiculous claims that I've seen that mm. you can equate somehow a constitutional Second Amendment right with your desire to kill an unborn human being makes no sense to me whatsoever. Mm. All right. Next sign. The Taliban stands with Alito and the gang. (laughs) And, too, if you can't, it's kind of like an old weird guy, too, holding it. (laughs) Okay. um, And we want to preface, Sarah has not seen any of these signs. I have not. I have not seen them. You're getting her live reaction. (laughs) Okay, first of all, props for the rhyming meter in this actual (laughs) picture. Um, Once again, this is sort of a pithy and memorable but totally inaccurate representation. Mm. So the Taliban obviously is a religious um, order, the cult that is obviously interested in sort of diminishing and um, destroying the rights of individuals Mm. that don't align with its perspective on things. Um, 
But to say it stands with Alito and the gang, I find absolutely hysterical because, for example, that would assume that the Taliban is pro-states' rights, Mm. that the Taliban is (laughs) pro-constitution, that the uh, Taliban is pro-separation of powers, and the Taliban is in the interest of protecting unborn human life, when Mm. in fact— they are nothing of the sort. No. They are interested in destroying life, not in protecting life. So there's oh. my response. Thanks, Sarah. All right, let's go for the next one. All right, this episode of Handmaid's Tale sucks. We've seen a lot of Handmaid's Tale signs recently. Handmaid's Tale signs, costumes. Oh, my gosh. And it's getting tired. It's like I've seen enough red robes and white mm. hats. Mm. I've seen it. We've done this before. <laughs> this is this is tired. I'm going to give this one a C- minus for originality. <laughs> okay, we've seen it before. Handmaid's Tale, obviously a reference no. to the book by Margaret Atwood. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. Forced pregnancy. Oh my gosh, it's horrible. And look, we're living in some kind of totalitarian regime. Once again, this is completely different. We are not using Americans as human breeders, mm. which is yeah. the concept behind the Handmaid's Tale. Otherwise, Otherwise, it would be exceptionally weird. We're not living in some weird dystopian alternate universe. Actually, we are trying to utilize our brains to find whether or not the Constitution said anything about abortion. And it clearly does not. In 1977, there were years of commentary and critique after the 73 Roe versus Wade decision in which people fessed up to the fact that it was kind of a really garbage constitutional law case. Um, and they plucked a right to abortion out of thin air. So, yes, okay, we've seen the Handmaid's Tale sign, C minus. Been there, done that. Yes. And they didn't even, like, do a good job in the design of it. The, their sucks is in a weird place. They There's ran like, into a Michaels, grabbed a Sharpie <laughs> and a piece of poster board and went, I'm going to a protest. All right, next one. Don't want me outside your house, then stay the H-E double hockey sticks out of my doctor's office. Okay. <laughs> also, small and weirdly plasticky. Yeah. I'm not sure I what the situation is on the design. It was okay. So well, it also looks wet. like a dry erase board. Oh, it does. It might have been. So they could just sort of up the rhetoric the more angry they got. Okay, so first of all, um, let me say something about the protests at the justices' houses. The U.S. Criminal Code. 18 U.S.C. Section 1507 is being repeatedly violated, which actually prohibits any protesting or um, any demonstrations outside the home of a sitting federal judicial officer. Okay, so number one, it's criminal. Number two, they aren't involved in a doctor's office at all. They are doing nothing with a doctor's office. In fact, they are telling the states you can regulate the way you Mm -hmm. see fit. And if you don't like the fact that your doctor won't perform an abortion, then go debate on the floor of your state houses Mm -hmm. and elect somebody who represents your interest. Have those conversations there. Don't have them at the federal level. Yep. Mm. The moment Roe v. Wade's overturned, it goes back to the state. Yes, absolutely. All right. Next sign. Oh, this one was wild to see. So this is a pregnant woman. On her stomach, she has written no forced pregnancy, and then she's holding a sign saying, your guns have more rights than my picture of a uterus. Okay. So we've discussed the whole Second Amendment fallacy Mm. in relationship to Mm. the right to unborn life. Um, She's got no first pregnancy written over her stomach, which is sending a confusing message because was that a forced pregnancy? I mean, who knows? I can't really, I can't tell what she's trying to say because she's very clearly seven, eight, maybe even nine months pregnant. So I'm going to give them like a D plus for message (laughs) continuity, okay? And also a D for lack of message originality. Again, we've seen the Second Amendment sign before. This is not forced pregnancy. Mm -hmm. I would like to clarify that for everybody with family medical leave, safe access to contraception, flexibility in work schedules. This is a detriment that even the Supreme Court justices during oral arguments said it's not really the detriment that Chief or Justice Blackman was writing about in 1973 because there's no detriment. People are waiting to Mm -hmm. adopt. People are waiting to provide charitable services. Your 
inconvenience <laughs> at having to, I don't know, suffer the consequences of the choices that you make is a very temporary balance against the right of an individual who's not yet born to actually mm. come into the world. Mm. So it's not forced pregnancy. All right, next one. Abortion is pro-life. <laughs> <laughs> pro, pro what kind of life? No. I would say um, pro murderous yeah. life. Pro, Up is down. You yeah, know. yeah, pro like morally reprobate life. Um, I'm not even sure what the rationale is behind this. I feel like this one needs an explainer. So I'm going to give that one. A D minus because <laughs> it's totally unclear how this conclusion is even supported by mm. the left, how they can make that argument with a straight face. How is it pro-life? seems like very like Orwellian, like, you know, freedom mm. is slavery. Abortion yes. is pro-life. Yes. Yeah. Well, and then again, we're living in the moral upside down. So mm. it's kind of like, well, sure, of course, they're going to argue that abortion is pro-life because why wouldn't we? I yeah. mean, it all. Sounds good. Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah, it sounds good. That's exactly it. Yeah. So it's pro your your non-inconvenienced mm. life, I mm. guess. Yeah. All right. I like we're in the moral upside down. I almost wanted to call the, this segment that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next one is for the moral upside down. All Pros- right. Prosecute oh. masturbators. <laughs> sperm equals baby. I did. I did warn Sarah. I'm <laughs> tell you, I just snorted. First of all. Second of all, I have teenage boys, and if that's the case, I would have a lot of little babies. <laughs> Listen, this is ridiculous. Okay, we know life begins at conception. The science on it is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I won't bore the audience with it, but it is very clear that a fertilized egg is a human being. It has all the physiological material there, all the DNA, all the chromosomal material. It's there. It just has to get older. (laughs) Sperm are not babies. Um, That would mean men would be pregnant constantly. And in (laughs) fact... men can't get pregnant? uh, No, they cannot, (laughs) despite what you might hear from some of the Mm -hmm. gender ideologues on the fact that men can get pregnant. Mm -hmm. So after all, we're putting tampons in men's bathrooms now, you know, for gender equity. So again, up is down and down is up and black is white. And this is ridiculous. And it's just bad science. So This is the pro-science crowd, too. Don't never forget. Yes, of course. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next one. Read... The Ninth Amendment. Okay. So this is a reference to the privacy right that Justice Blackman was sort of grabbing and pulling into the 14th Amendment Mm. and applying it to the state. Mm. So the privacy rights for things like um, Griswold versus Connecticut and the access to contraception, for example, or Obergefell versus Hodges and the privacy right to same-sex marriage that the uh, justices discovered in 2015, this is a reference to that privacy Mm. right. Here's the thing. In the draft opinion, Alito very eloquently describes the fact that this is very different. It doesn't have to go to the issue of privacy. It is, again, as abortion, inherently different because it involves the taking of another human life. Even Justice Blackman in 1973 said it's the taking of potential life. And Alito said it's the taking of human life. So 50 years apart, both justices agree abortion is different. Yes, the privacy right was the tag that Justice Blackman in 73 used to create this right. That doesn't mean it's still good law, because as Alito wrote, this from the outset was absolutely the wrong constitutional mm. interpretation. Mm. So, Well, I want to talk to design of the sign, too. Yeah. They, they were kind of cool. I like the green, the pink. They put a little more yeah, work, a little into, work into it. But then I don't really get to the bottom. It's just splatters. Yeah. Is that I almost thought it was like floral, but yeah. it's not. It looks floral, but no. I think it's random. He so he also abstract. went to Michael's craft store, <laughs> I think, because there's something that was attempted to be creative there. Oh, and there's a super cool uterus holding up a middle finger wow. with a fallopian right tube behind. right yeah. behind it. Wow. Yeah. Now that one's that's a creative sign. <laughs> All right, next All right. one. Millions? Millions of daughters, mothers, sisters, wives, aunts will 
die. die. Okay. We hear this argument all oh, the time. Of Women course will die. we do. Of course we do. Um, this reminds me of when Justice Sonia Sotomayor, during oral arguments in one of the vaccine mandate cases, talked about millions of children on ventilators because of COVID. And even the liberal press was going, what? That was a serious record scratch moment. This is millions of daughters, mothers, sisters, wives, aunts will die. That's so incredibly facetious. It's hard to even know where to begin to start taking that apart. It is actually safer to carry a child to term than it is to have an abortion. Mm -hmm. And the older a child gets gestationally, that risk of mortality and complication increases by 35%, which indicates to me that this person, number one, has not done their homework. And number two, if they are hell-bent on ending pre-born life, and they're going to find a dangerous way to do it, there's something to be said for, again, providing these individuals with the science yeah. and the fact that thousands of American couples are waiting for healthy mm. American babies. There are so many opportunities to avoid what Blackman called the detriment of motherhood mm. because we are in a different era now in 2022 than we were in 1973. So, again, but this is... Typical of the left's histrionics, their hysteria, their pandering, because whip them all up, everybody's going to die. But have so. you ever seen such like a pretty nice sign about, that says millions will die? Yes, <laughs> I almost feel like with, oh my gosh, the hearts and the <laughs> fluorescent pink and the purple. Yeah. And yet, then you're saying millions will die and die in huge <laughs> letters. I well, feel and, like and it should look differently. you can't see the girl holding the sign, but she was smiling. She had a a yeah. big smile on her face, too. Oh, she's very chipper no. about yeah. her hysterical messaging. Yes, that's was. inaccurate. America's freedoms are greater than any life. Ooh. Wow. Okay. So that's a real... Um, that's a, another moral upside down mm. right there. Um, when you are willing to put your personal choice above the right of anyone to even exist, I would say we probably need to take this person to church because <laughs> there there might be some imbalances in beliefs and um, an understanding about the inherent value of every human being. My freedom to run a stoplight or my freedom to go to the drugstore and get a particular prescription is not greater than your right to exist in the first place. Mm -hmm. It's I, That's an incredibly um, morally problematic sign. So. Well, and what are our, our rights? Our rights to life. life. Right. <laughs> right. That's exactly it. America's freedom. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh. And this one, too, very low production value. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they don't know what font they were going with. That, no. That greater than symbol is just a little too heavy. See, they, they got excited about the word freedoms mm -hmm. and then probably stayed up too late, yeah. like rage <laughs> tweeting. And then we're like, like oh, well, forget it. I'm just going to finish this off. And this is also, too, a big pet peeve of mine when they do, like, the A with the little thing above it, you know, yeah. like at the bottom. But then the top A doesn't have it. <gasps> Inconsistent uh, fonting. Yeah. That's horrible. Yeah. Just shows you're just looking for attention when you do that little top A and when you don't do it everywhere else. Okay. All right. Women's bodies are more regulated than guns. We've talked mm. about this gun argument a little well, bit. Well, here it comes again, though. But, boy, it's popular. It it's sure real is. popular for the left. Um, I would and like I'll, to— I'll note that coat hanger at the top. Yeah. Coat yes, hanger of course. Coat too. hanger with the line through it. Yeah. Um, so this, to me, I find really interesting because I would really like to know how this individual believes that women's bodies are regulated mm. because a constitutional right to abortion never existed. And the justices, it seems, are about to admit that exactly how are their bodies more regulated? Or let's go back and let's say it's 1972 before the constitutional right to abortion was discovered. Um how were their bodies regulated? Mm -hmm. You can get the medicine you want. You can seek the practitioner mm -hmm. that you want. I mean, heck, now you can have voluntary double mastectomies and take a bunch of hormones and believe that you're a boy. Mm -hmm. So I don't see how women's bodies are regulated. And maybe that person lives in a state like New York or California or even in the District of Columbia where there are virtually no restrictions yeah. on abortion. And that's And you sign, can't get a gun. 
and you can't get a gun. Yeah. So I guess this one is sort of locus specific, yeah. and it just depends on your geography. But women's bodies, as a, I mean, as a rule overall, are not regulated. Mm-hmm. Admitting constitutional error, overturning bad precedent does not mean that your body is suddenly mm. regulated. I just, I don't get it. So I have a really funny story about the coat hangers. Uh, interns are moving into D.C. It's the beginning of the summer. Our intern was telling me that their roommate is a Capitol Hill intern, and their office received so many hangers in the mail that she brought them home, and they didn't have to go out and buy hangers <laughs> for their dorm. <laughs> oh, there you wow. go. So there you go. Resourceful. Wow. Yeah. Right there. Wow. Right there. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So this is our final sign. My AP government students understand constitutional law better than the SCOTUS. Okay. All right. Um, hmm. First of all, I have a son who took AP government, and um, I gave him about a five-minute primer on this, and he very quickly said, Mom, they screwed up. They screwed up in 73. And I was like, yeah, son, that is it. In layman's terms, the 1973 Supreme Court screwed up, okay? And constitutional questions are they're able to be overturned for two reasons, okay? Even if they've been around forever. Mm. First of all, I, I want to give you the Plessy versus Ferguson mm. separate but equal um, rule, right? That was overturned by Brown versus Board mm-hmm. of Education. Think where we would be if it wasn't overturned by Brown versus Board of Education. Wow, Those okay. justices were just plain wrong. They thought you could have separate but equal facilities, government programs based on race. It's patently unconstitutional, and the Brown Supreme Court recognized that. If we leave even bad decisions alone, and Justice Kavanaugh mentioned this in oral arguments, where would we be as a country if we hadn't gone back and said, listen, we admit our error. Is the precedent wrong? And do the factors for overturning it outweigh the factors for keeping it? And the answer to both of those in Roe is yes. So... Maybe your AP government students need a primer again in constitutional oh. law, and I volunteer myself yeah. as tribute, so you can call me. Yeah, what do you think it means that this teacher is standing in that crowd with that message? Oh, well, uh, first of all, I mean, don't get me started on the industrialized <laughs> education complex, because I can talk about that forever, but it's very clear that the NEA's influence in public education right now is absolutely bloated. It is out of control. It does not surprise me that you've got a young teacher here picketing in, you know, Washington, D.C. area saying, my AP government class understands that the Constitution (laughs) gives us a right to abortion when, in fact, she's coming in already with a predetermined perspective Mm -hmm. on what she thinks the kids should be taught. And also, I cannot wait until my kids are out of school (laughs) and I don't have to have these heart attack (laughs) conversations with them anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And and look too, if you look really closely, there is another "women will die" sign. But this oh is a yeah, more, more ominous. More, yes, a little more ominous. Yeah. More hysterics. Wow. wow. Yeah, a little right. more ominous yeah. with the block red yeah, lettering. Yeah, letters. Real yeah. bold. Mm-hmm. I think the real winner of this march really was Michael's. Yes, I think it was. <laughs> Look at Michael's craft store. Yeah, yeah, those are definitely some die-cut red letters. I would definitely agree with you on that. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. And Lauren, we will see you next week. Kelsey is jumping back in with us now. But up next, we're going to discuss what will actually happen across all 50 states if Roe v. Wade is overturned. But first, if you are enjoying this episode of Problematic Women and want to find other like-minded podcasts, look no further than She Thinks. She Thinks is a podcast product of Independent Women's Forum. Every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern, host Beverly Hallberg is joined by policymakers and thought leaders to cut through the spin and bring you facts on the issues that matter most. From the economy and education to foreign policy and everything in between, she thinks has you covered. And if you can't wait for that next episode to drop, you can listen to the podcast and every episode at iwf.org or search for She Thinks Podcast in your favorite podcast app.
So the question so many people are asking right now is what happens if and when Roe v. Wade is overturned? And we've talked a little bit about that on this show. We know that abortion laws revert back to the states. But what actually happens in those states? I recently had the chance to do a little bit of a deep dive on this into all 50 states across America, what it will look like in those states in a post-Roe world. And I learned that there are about a dozen states that have something called trigger laws. These are pro-life laws that will trigger into effect if Roe is overturned. And most of these laws make abortion illegal in almost all circumstances with exceptions to save the life of the mother. Uh, And the states that have these pro-life trigger laws are Alabama, Idaho, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, and Wyoming. So if you live in one of those states, congratulations, you're living in a very pro-life state that values life. Um, and in total, there there's a lot of states, there's a total of 26 states that have some form of pro-life laws on the books. There's states like West Virginia that have uh, laws that predate Roe v. Wade that will just simply go back into effect after Roe. So it's encouraging to see that there are so many states. There's 28 states that in some shape or form are standing up saying, yes, we will protect life. And then there's states on the other side, the other extreme, that are very, very pro-abortion and states that will allow abortion up until the moment a child is born. Uh, These states include Alaska, Oregon, Vermont, New Jersey, New Mexico, and right here in the District of Columbia, where we are, Washington, D.C. And then you have a lot of states that um, allow abortion up until a baby is viable, which means the child can survive outside the womb, which is usually thought to be about 24 weeks. Um, Some states have it at 20 weeks. So states that allow abortion up to that time of viability are California, Iowa, Hawaii, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Nevada, New Hampshire, New York, Nebraska, North Carolina, Montana, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Rhode Island, and Washington State. And, you know, Kelsey, the thing I think that stands out to me as I did this research, there are about 22 states where a baby's life is not protected, which means we still have a lot of work to do. The moment that Roe v. Wade is overturned, our work is not done in the pro-life movement. So I think that sort of begs the question of like, how do we actually go about protecting life and creating a culture of life in some of these states like California and Oregon, where a child's life is not protected? Yeah, well, first off, Virginia, I have to give you credit for the work you did in this piece, which is published on the Daily Signal, because I think it is important for women and men to know uh, what could and would happen should Roe v. Wade be overturned in your own state, since it is such a hodgepodge of different policies mm-hmm. uh, that would take effect. You know, it's it's important to be prepared, um, not just, you know, heaven forbid, if you know someone in this type of situation, uh, but also to be prepared to have these tough conversations with uh, friends and families and communities about what a post-Roe country Mm -hmm. uh, will look like in your own backyard. And it is, uh, you know, it is hard for those of us covering this issue to talk about each and every state. And so it's it's really uh, up to individuals to carry on that conversation in their own states and communities. And you did a fabulous job in uh, providing uh, providing individuals with the background and resources they need to know what will happen um, mm-hmm. in their own states. I I was surprised um, by this. I will say, it's. I think a lot of Americans are in for a wake up call mm-hmm. uh, about how pro life huge parts of the country are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of these laws do go pretty far in protecting unborn children. And, uh, you know, another conversation I think we have to be prepared for is, uh, you know, there's also these quiet, unspoken abortions, because I quite frankly think they are even harder to defend. But abortions of inconvenience is, is how I 
would call them. Um, and these are abortions of children who, uh, in, through prenatal testing, uh, might test positive for something like Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. This is not something that is really openly discussed in this country, but it's very much prevalent. And I fully expect uh, the pro-abortion movement to start using these types of diagnoses to uh, make their case of why abortion should be legal, which, of course, you know, from the pro-life perspective, that really, I guess, exposes how ugly this is, Mm -hmm. that it really is, um, you know, an act of convenience for many to get an abortion. But at the same time, this will change the reality for um, women who both have unplanned and planned pregnancies, because of course, a lot of these types of abortions involving children diagnosed with Down syndrome or other abnormalities uh, come from couples who were planning on getting pregnant, but, uh, you know, received one of these diagnoses. So we definitely have some important, significant conversations ahead of us. And as a member of the pro-life community, the burden is on us to be willing to engage on this front. And, um, you know, as your piece points out, there is so much more work to be done. And quite frankly, uh, I, I think it's going to take a lot of time to start changing minds in more of these uh, liberal states such as California and New York, uh, which have very, in Washington, D.C., which have very extreme uh, abortion abortion laws. But yeah. I, I do think that facts and science are on our side, and the conversation is before us now. Mm-hmm. The country has no choice but to have it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a perfect way to say it, Kelsey. That we have, we don't, we don't have a choice but to have this conversation. And I think there is, there's this fact that, like, at the end of the day, this conversation comes back to that question of when does life begin? And I've, I've referred back to a couple times the conversation that we had about a month ago on the podcast with pro-life advocate Megan Allman, who travels the country and debates the pro-life issue. And she's like, that's that's really the question at the heart of this is, is when does life begin? And if we can all agree that murder is wrong, and then, you know, if, if we can establish the fact that a child in the womb is a human being, then it follows that abortion is wrong if it takes the life of a child. And so th- there's like that very foundational, factual, scientific fact. Um, but these are conversations that need to be so em- embodied with love, right? Like we can't just kind of come in with the the hard, cold facts and just sort of, we need to be having compassion. And, and like you say, Kelsey, like recognizing the really incredibly hard circumstances that people who that women who face unplanned pregnancies are in um and the you know the various resources that that they need and so it it's it's this be- it needs to be this beautiful combination of both love and compassion and celebrating women and empowering women and reminding them that they are so capable of bringing a life into the world and um, that that is such a beautiful part of who they are and it's such an honor and it's such a joy um and of course at the same time uh, talking about the science and talking about the facts and bringing those things up and not letting them go. And my hope, like you say, is that through that, through having those really healthy, full of compassion, factual conversations, that we can, as a whole country, shift to a place where no matter if you live in California or Oregon or Texas or Mississippi, that all life is protected and sacred and held dear. Um, And I I don't know if that will happen in our lifetime, but I certainly pray it does. Yeah. And reminding men too, because let's not forget, it takes two to make a baby. (laughs) And, you know, while the laws um, very well could drastically change in the next, in just a few days or weeks, uh, we also need the culture to change mm-hmm. the culture surrounding, uh, you know, the hookup, the hookup culture. Yeah. Um, men need to take more responsibility for the consequences of their actions, and men and women, boys and girls, need to realize that if they engage in unprotected sex, there could be a baby as a consequence, mm-hmm. and that is avoidable 
It is completely avoidable by being responsible. Uh, and, and so I think so much of this is also, um, going back yeah. to that fundamental fact. Yeah. I actually, uh, it's not it's a popular a, message, but it's a really it's, important one. It's not a popular message, but I find it so interesting. It's very, it's a very awkward conversation, but anytime this issue comes up with older men of like my father's age, mm-hmm. I'm not having this conversation with my father, but older men, they tell me they used to be terrified to engage in sexual relations outside of marriage because there weren't these very lax abortion laws. And so there wasn't as much unsafe sex back then. They, you know, we become as a culture so numb Mm -hmm. to the consequences of this type of behavior. And I do hope that, you know, men and and women uh, take the steps that are necessary to avoid anyone finding themselves in the situation of considering abortion in the first place. That is what we all should want. No matter if you're on the pro-choice or the pro-life side, we should all be working towards a society where no woman ever finds herself in the situation of feeling she needs to consider ending the life of an unborn child. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and for anyone listening who wants to kind of dive deeper into what exactly is happening in my state, how can I learn more? Um, I found one of the resources as I was writing my piece at the Daily Signals. Um, there's a resource called afterrow.com. It's this wonderful interactive map that has been put together by the Family Policy Alliance, and they've just done such great work pulling so much information and pieces of legislation into one place for you to be able to review. Um, so the the article in the Daily Signal really kind of scratches the surface of all 50 states, big picture. But if you want to get into the nitty gritty of your state, if you want to read the actual laws, you can visit afterrow.com to do that. Um, but Kelsey, I want to go ahead uh, and hand it over to you because you have some interesting news to share with us about Mattel, which is the company that uh, makes Barbie dolls. Yes. So shifting gears a little bit, you can certainly call this interesting, Virginia, maybe even a little bit troubling as it relates to our children. So Mattel has just announced that they've created their first transgender Barbie doll. The doll is modeled after transgender actor Laverne Cox, best known for acting in the show Orange is the New Black. Cox is a male who identifies and presents as a female, and now there is a Laverne Cox Barbie. The doll was revealed on an episode of the Today Show last week. Let's listen to a clip. I mean, I love her and had so much fun collaborating with everyone at Mattel designing her, but I think this year particularly when over 200 pieces, 250 pieces of anti-transgender legislation have been introduced in state legislatures all over the country targeting transgender children, LGBTQ youth, that I hope all the kids who are feeling stigmatized when their health care is being jeopardized, their ability to play in sports, I hope they can see this Barbie and have a sense of hope and possibility. Mm -hmm. If they don't see themselves in this Barbie, I hope they know that they can create spaces where they do see themselves, Mm -hmm. where they are represented. So Virginia, Cox says that anti-transgender legislation has been introduced across America. Uh, Would you agree with that (laughs) statement? (laughs) So this is a very misleading statement, Kelsey, because what Cox is talking about here is bills like what we saw down in Florida, the parental rights in education bill that just prevents teachers from including gender identity curriculum in classrooms that are ages kindergarten through third grade. Um, Or Cox is also talking about the Save Women's Sports Bill that um, have passed in in many states like Texas and South Carolina that simply just prevent biological men from competing on women's sports teams. Um, But, you know, I I think what what bothers me most about what Mattel and Cox are up to is, is that they're targeting kids with not only a political message, but a political agenda that is something that could have long-term harms and is very dangerous to children. Yeah, not even not even could. It is yeah. having long-term damage on children who are taking puberty blockers and um, 
obtaining medical procedures that in some cases are irreversible and, you know, at best, we, we don't know the long-term effects of the damage. Uh, these these procedures and, and these puberty blockers, hormones are having on young children, and now there's a Barbie doll that is normalizing this behavior, not, not just normalizing it, but celebrating it. And it's so frustrating because there used to be a point, you know, with the gay rights movement where, you know, adults said, let's just agree to disagree. If you're an adult, you do you, but leave me alone. And not only are they not leaving us alone, they're not leaving our children alone. Mm. And and that's the problem here. And that's what all this legislation that Cox has a problem with relates to children. Mm-hmm. It is it is the left trying to indoctrinate our children to believe that they can switch genders uh, and with without some sort of dira- uh, disastrous effects. And I'll say in, in this particular case, like the Barbie might seem harmless, but I think it's actually unfortunate because it overshadows what really was a good cause. Uh, this transgender Barbie doll is part of a set of dolls that this company released, which aims to represent more children from various backgrounds and communities. And the, the other dolls include one with a uh, behind the ear hearing aid. Mm. Another is in a wheelchair. Uh, another is an amputee. And so the collection is great. I, I do support the effort by companies to uh, represent more more children mm-hmm. uh, but those those conditions are very different uh from this whole gender ideology movement that is telling children you know if you you can switch genders and turn out to be this beautiful barbie doll yeah. uh, because that's not possible without these very serious uh medical procedures that Cox, who is now 50 years old, has spent her entire life pursuing in in pursuit of her physical appearance, which that's a whole nother side note for me. But I I think so much of the the flaw of the entire transgender movement is that is so obsessed with physical appearance Mm -hmm. when really, you know, fundamentally what humans are about is who we are inside not how we present on the outside yeah um so i i think it's it's unfortunate that this transgender barbie doll is overshadowing uh a much more important effort to represent children with different types of conditions and different types of appearances to the point where parents like me are just gonna say well I'm not going to buy Barbie dolls anymore Mm -hmm. if you support indoctrinating my children with this very dangerous idea that my child can switch genders. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I think it's fascinating to see that the transgender movement claims that they're celebrating people for who they really are when at the end of the day, they're telling the message is you have to take all these pills and maybe have surgery in order to be who you really are. It it's a total uh right. it, it, it's a total lie. It it's saying you are not enough in the body that you were born in. You are not mm-hmm. enough uh to be the girl that you are, to be the boy that you are. You are fundamentally wrong and you have to take actions in order to change that. And that is for any age, that's tragic. But to start telling kids that that could be their reality is devastating for for a child long term, and that doesn't that doesn't just fix or or go away. So, um, definitely really troubling. I couldn't agree more, Virginia. That was very well said. And on that note, stay tuned because up next we'll crown our problematic woman of the week. It's easy to get overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle. So if you're looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters, the Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day. Hosts Doug Blair, Rob Bluey, and me, Virginia Allen, bring you headlines and interviews with lawmakers, authors, and conservative activists. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast available every weekday morning. Now it is that time. Once again, our favorite time of the week. It is time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to 
Jalen Barnes. Jalen Barnes is a mother, and sadly, she recently miscarried her fifth child, a little boy named Nielsen Jeffrey. Um, and Jalen was uh, 11 weeks pregnant when she miscarried Nielsen. And after the fact, uh, she did something that was, in my opinion, really incredibly brave. She decided to post a picture of her tiny baby boy on Facebook. And you can see his his 10 little toes and his 10 little fingers, his nose, his little ears at just 11 weeks old. You can see all of those things. You can see that this is a tiny little baby. And Jalen's courage, I think, to share that picture of her 11-week-old son is just a powerful reminder of how sacred life is, that life begins at conception, and that all life is worthy of love, is worthy of being protected. And that's not an easy thing, I imagine, for, for any mom to share that news that they've lost a child. But I really applaud her for her willingness to to put that photo out there um, to remind us all how beautiful life is. Yeah, Virginia, I was so struck by this image that she put out, and I encourage anyone listening to this podcast to take a look at it for yourself because an image really is worth more than a thousand words. Mm -hmm. Um, This image is so powerful. It's hard to look at and reckon with a society that can justify the brutal killing of these innocent little babies because they are babies. That is very clear through this image. Even at 11 weeks, you see the little hands, you see the little toes, you see the little belly and nose. It's it's just so powerful, so incredible. And this mother is really making a world of a difference on this issue by being so vulnerable in celebrating the life of her lost child. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you're listening, maybe consider sharing this image on your Instagram, um, on your Twitter feed, with friends and family. You know, I might pull it out next time somebody asks me why I'm pro-life. I might just simply pull out this picture and show them. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to read a little bit more, find a little bit more out about this story, Live Action did a beautiful post about this. Um, you can visit liveaction at liveaction.org and um, read all about this, this precious, precious little 10-week-old boy. Um, but thank you all so much for joining us today. That's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. As conservatives, we need your support in the podcast world. And so we would so appreciate you taking just a few minutes to leave us a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox. It means so much to us to hear your feedback. We read every review that is written. So thank you in advance for doing that. Yeah. And on that note, have a great week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.